when we come back together, we desperately need to catechize the church on sacramental theology, and in particular, what the incarnation of Jesus means about all that. Why it's different for Catholics than it is for other Christians or other faiths. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm joined with my co-host, Dave, Jim Shorts, only Van Vickle. How are we doing, Dave? Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> my name. I I would live <laughs> in Jim Shorts in a t-shirt if I could. I'm literally living in that right now. That's all I ever wear, ever. Yeah, if we can talk about the gift, the sacred gift of coronavirus uh, quarantine, <laughs> yeah. it is... I wear a collared shirt and gym shorts. And Jim, oh, that's funny. So you do it so on many for Zoom meetings. meetings. Oh, really? That's yeah. funny. Oh, so I don't even time. bother. Even on my parish stuff like that I'm doing, I'm about to do a series called The Disciplines of Discipleship. And uh and I'm I just like I literally I'm like in my t shirt, I'm in my hoodie, I'm sweating, I'm like whatever. It's like all rules are <laughs> off. I'm in from working out. Yeah. Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, tell me a little bit about this program that you're just talking about. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of like coming to grips with the fact that even when the restrictions are lifted, you know, big events, it's going to be a while, you know, for big events. Yeah. So I thought yeah. um, we got to start serving, um, you know, I, and we've been doing like some like, you know, small, small time scripture studies online and some gospel reflections and things like that. But um, we're going to do a series called the disciplines of discipleship and basically just go through what what does it look like what does the daily life of a disciple look like uh daily prayer you know examination of conscience moral living things like that and uh meditating on scripture all that kind of how stuff. are you uh how are you doing this um uh i i program. i just i literally um we i videotape it i record it and i videotape it i record it on my ipad <laughs> i use a vhs camera <laughs> <laughs> i record it on the ipad and then um you know just i upload it to facebook and then and then they put it on the website some somebody magic elf or whoever does that kind of thing <laughs> somehow it gets on the website but um so so yeah and i um I'll probably publicize it to more people, but like during these, I've been very like explicit, like directing it towards the community I serve, which is the Catholic community of Wexford. So, yeah. yeah. What about yeah. you? That's been that's been really interesting because uh, one of the things that you're cognizant of when you start doing these, like we do a lot of live streaming. Okay. So not just pre-recorded content, but live streaming. Okay. We are one of the lucky parishes that had all the equipment beforehand. Right. Right. Now, I mean, it, you can't find it anywhere. Uh -huh. um, on, on Amazon, everything is sold out, out of stock, all this stuff. So we had a lot of that equipment. Not all the equipment that we want right now, but we had a lot of the live streaming stuff pretty early on. And so um, we began to do that. And, and a lot of our struggles are revolving around how much is too much. Okay. Right? So Because you don't want to dilute it. And everyone who has a really good idea at the parish, whether they're parishioners or staff, leadership, clergy... Um, we all we have to pass this stuff through our communications office because and, and me in the evangelization office because everyone wants like there's so many good ideas out there right. but you can't you, you can see it. with like the online conferences like, yeah um, there are so many Catholic conferences that went online and you can understand why but um that it just it just it saturates and so we don't want to do it so then the other thing that you realize with live streaming. So we stream to our parish website as well, simultaneously as well as to our Facebook account. 
And so anyone can watch it. And for a while, our mindset was, this is awesome. We're right. reaching 65 countries. But now, you know? right. but now we're like, okay, that's cool that they might watch, but we're focusing solely on our parishioners right now. Yeah. And when we focus on our parishioners, um, I, I think that's the best mentality you can have. I don't. It doesn't matter like if priests are listening to this and your homilies are going out to tens of thousands or whatever. Focus on your parishioners because this is a stopgap maneuver. Yeah, right. To bring people, you want to keep them connected. These are just bridges, and the land is the physical encounter. Yeah. So don't think of this as I'm launching a new ministry. Think of this as I. This is the life support of right. my previous ministries and my future my future parish um, parish work. So um, that's that's kind of been a hard thing for us. So we just did, I think this is hilarious, we did a auction dinner. Um, so, you know, down in Texas, we love our galas, yeah. our galas, oh, yeah. whatever you say. And uh, we do this big one for our school as the annual fundraiser, and we have 10 items that are like the premium donated items. Sure, yeah. Uh, trips to Napa Valley, Ooh. New Orleans, like all this really cool stuff. And uh, it was so funny because that got canceled, and it was supposed to be last Saturday. Well, they came to us on Wednesday and said, "Would you guys, would you and Stephen Lennon, Evangelization Communications, like to host it?" And so they're nuts. <laughs> we did an hour and a half live gala auction, <laughs> ten items. I mean, it was the funniest thing. We had a buddy who runs a bar called Deacon Baldy's, um, Joey, and he was there, and he was making specialty cocktails. <laughs> What, that he might have done for the gala if we were all there. And he was serving to us. And uh, at one point, he had it in a champagne flute. He made a cocktail out of champagne. And I slammed the flute down. Not slammed. I set the flute down harder than I should have. And I broke it. That broke the stem. And it sliced my hand open. So I'm bleeding on the live stream. Oh, my stream. God. Well, that's what. And they're, like, bringing in wet paper towels. That's what I was going to say is that live stream, it makes me so nervous. I, I don't think I could. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I say extreme, crazy things all the time. So it's like. You do. You, know, you do. You are an extremist. Yeah, I know. But but the thing is, is that, so it's like I don't I don't know. I'd be nervous about doing live stream, and obviously we're seeing that now, right? I mean, have you yeah. seen you've seen like some of the Catholic celebrities now who have made some big mistakes on live streaming and stuff like that? You know, I haven't. I haven't seen it at all. Like what's no? What's I'm talking happened? about you know what we were just talking about. Like you know, oh, people okay. calling other people out. It's just like it's funny. Hey, you know? Oh yes, yeah. That is that is very true. <laughs> yeah. You know what I was thinking about in the middle of the night last night? What we should do an episode about is um and i don't know i don't know if you've ever had this experience i've had two in one week it's been very hard um of like conversion reversions uh okay. in in one week people that i walked with from like literal christian infancy uh meaning that they did not believe in god or did not believe in a personal god to a vibrant relationship with God have contacted me and said, you know, just, you know, I, I really respect you and I wouldn't want you to find out any other way, but like, I'm not, I'm not living the life that, you know, I, I was before and I no longer have that. I no longer consider myself a Christian. And it, you know, I, I think like this does happen, you know, like, I mean, there, there's yeah. such a thing yeah. as, um, there's such a thing as, uh, well, kind of it, in popular put, circles, it's known as deconstruct, deconstructing your discipleship. Yeah, right, right, but right, and not not just. That, but what I mean is, like, there is there is something to be said for evangelists that, like, there is a very fragile time in the in the life of a disciple mm -hmm. that 
tragedy or loneliness or scandal can yeah. can deeply affect you know i mean their treat the roots are just not that are not that deep you know and so it's it's a yeah. sad thing but we should talk about sometime but today I think we have, <laughs> oh, you you get you get us all excited about this topic because this is a deep topic, man. Yeah, okay. I, well, I'm not well, ready. For, I'm topic. not ready for. I'm not ready for. It. Yeah, but um, okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll look at that next time. But yeah, you yeah. had a good topic that you sent me yeah. via text message. So what is it? Yeah, okay. So this is what I think we should we should talk about. Okay, right now, and I don't know. I don't know what priests are thinking right now. I really don't know what is going through their head if they're reeling from all this. If they're if they're chomping at the bit, if they're planning, if they're uh, cutting, if they're, you know, whatever they're doing. But it's very clear that even parishes with great resources are going to at least be limited by time when this the restrictions are are, are lifted. Now, in all, in all actuality, I, I think the infrastructure of the church in America in a lot of places is going to be decimated if it hasn't already, because yeah. uh, I think that— yeah. It's going to take a while financially for churches to recover. And so uh, I guess what I want to focus on today is what what would be our recommendations for people uh, to focus on when we're going to come back with both limited time of wanting to catch up, but also very probably a very limited resources. So that's kind of where I wanted to throw out, you know. Yeah. So in thinking about this topic, um, as a parish staff, I'm on my parish staff leadership team. It's composed of the directors and the clergy. And we get together and we really start to puzzle this stuff out. And one of the big things that I would say to everyone listening, whether you are a parish priest at a small parish or you're a team member of a large parish, you cannot do this strategizing on your own. And you need to bring in as many people that can actually accomplish the mission of figuring this stuff out. Um, so I would say the first step in kind of figuring out with our limited time and resources, what should our focus be? You need a team to help you. You need a multiplicity of counselors. You're going to have parishioners that will send you um, advice, solicited or not. Um, and there's a lot of great wisdom in that. There's a lot of great wisdom in crowdsourcing. You can send out, have a, a team member send out emails um, asking people what they would like to see, what they would like to bring back, and just acknowledge that you're, you're just crowdsourcing, brainstorming, you know? Um, but you need to have a team responsible for seeing the bigger picture of the parish, because one of the big problems is when you just have volunteers who lead this or that ministry, often their primary concern is the value that they see in their own ministry and not the work and mission of the church as a whole. So get a team who has a vision for the work of the whole uh, and don't be afraid to, you know, crowdsource a lot of that stuff. So, so is this team? It, it's a it's a local team. Is that what you're saying? Or are you talking about like consultants and things yeah, like at that? the parish? Okay. okay. No, 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 no. Uh, people who are responsible. So, like for instance, if you're at a big parish, chances are you have something like a leadership team that is a staff representation of the overall life of the parish. So, what I mean by staff representation is it's not your parish council. They're important and you, they need to be involved. But um, I'm talking the people who see the day-to-day -day operation and successes and failures, right? Yeah. So these are people who are invested in the mission of the church because it's literally their job yeah. as well as their passion. Oftentimes, parish council members, it's not their job, but it, it might be their passion, their joy. Um, but you need people who can say, like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm doing. This crisis has caused X, Y, and Z. This is what I'm hearing. And uh, to be able to come together as a team and talk about that. Do you know what? 
do you know what, man? I just felt like I felt the Holy Spirit while you're talking. And I'm going to I'm going to jump out on a limb here and make a promise to our listeners that I and I'm going to I'm going to totally throw you under the bus with me. Okay, so I'm jumping under the bus. I'm taking you with me. Okay, I think that because of the way uh, the resources that the church is is missing out on and everything like that, I think that over the next year, I'm going to commit to at least an hour a week of parishes that need help. And I'm gonna I'm gonna consult with them. And I and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna guarantee that Gomer will be there some of the time. That I'm gonna <laughs> set aside an hour a week uh for parishes that might need help with planning, strategic planning on getting back into the swing of things. Because I think, you know, places do not have the money to pay for what they need to pay for. And I I, I wanna be able to help, you know, uh with all of this. So I, I think that's good. I think you're what you're saying is very smart. So if you, if you need help with this, uh, you know, putting your team together or even guiding your team through this process, uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to help and I'm willing to put my friend Gomer out there as well as, as willing to help. <laughs> uh, You're a beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's good um, about it is that going to the parishioners, I think, is going to be really important because right now, I mean, I think that there's a real isolation from a lot of parishes. So I think that part of your plan is a really good idea, you know, that that they're going to say like, yeah, let's, let's all get in this boat together and get, you know, pull our bootstraps up, you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, I, I would say from my standpoint, there's going to be a few things. And and I think probably a lot of this, you're going to be like, oh, this is another one of Dave's soapboxes. But first of all, um, faith formation is behind like crazy, right? I mean, we are like just massively behind and, um, I think, you know, I, I have my DRE emailing me all the time asking about, you know, dates for first communion and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I, you know, I understand that. And so the question is going to be, what do we do to catch up here with faith formation? And, and again, I'm going to do something that will, you know, disenfranchise a lot of people, but my, my suggestion is going to be focus on your adults, focus on your adults. Um, if you, if you can't, uh, allocate resources to every um, uh, class of your parish, you know, child, teen, all this kind focus on the adults because um, uh, you, you, there is a trickle down effect with the faith, you know, that if you focus on the adults. And so I think maybe just thinking about the fact that when they come back, those who do come back are going to be very, very hungry and we need to serve the adults and, 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 find a way a very strategic plan for them to serve others because i i think that um you know i mean i really do think in a lot of places I, and i'm seeing this on facebook that people are saying well i just got furloughed and it's pretty unlikely i'll be hired back at least full time or on a long term basis so we are going to be deciding what resources to use yeah i think that is so absolutely huge um another thing when you're looking at like phasing things in, you know, the president releases national plan, governors are releasing their own plan, your counties matter, all that stuff. Um, obviously, as as Roman Catholics, you can't digitize a sacramental faith. And I know that some people are frustrated with that. Um, I'm glad but you're we saying are not, this. Yeah. yeah, we are not a faith that can be digitized because Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Right. He came with tradition as well as scripture. It's not just about the written word that sustains us. Right. 
it is the, I mean, the community, there's a reason why the church is so often called the body of Christ, because it's physicality, it's materiality, it's a visible status matters. That is what a sacrament is, an outward sign instituted by Christ that gives us grace. And so when we start to look at the sacramental nature of the church, we're going to have to put a high priority on the sacraments that we miss. Like my daughter missed her first Holy Communion, and she's still kind of in limbo with regards to that. And so as parents, one of our big uh, our big functions is we need to keep catechizing these kids. So um, I have selectively been watching certain masses like Bishop Aaron's mass where they zoom in nice and tight on a small chapel and I pause it and I ask my daughter, I do the faith formation stuff like what's going on? What part of the liturgy are we right. at? Blah, blah, blah. I think as leaders in adult faith formation, as leaders in you know DREs or priests or whomever we might be, or just super excited catechists, we need to create resources for the ramp up, right? So for the phases, right. because, okay, so we have about 350 kids who are going to make their first Holy Communion. Let's say they only let you have, you know, we have a church that holds 1,400. I know that's not everyone, but if they let you have a minimum amount, if you have 100 kids going to first Holy Communion, you fill our church with family members. Right. Right. With uh, godparents. Yeah. Right. So the idea is, what if we can only do 20 kids at a time? How can we roll out that kind of faith formation? So I've been thinking part of this strategic plan. My goal is think uh, is to think about phasing in. How do I do formation in the phasing? Yeah. And so um, part of this is for those first group of kids that might get in is how am I ensuring that the kids, the adults doing adult confirmation, adults doing baptism com- confirmation for Holy communion that they miss at Easter vigil, all that stuff. How are they still being formed? And then couples preparing for marriage. How are they still being formed? Because the idea is once we can, we will start celebrating the sacrament. So my phasing strategy has focused primarily on getting us caught up on sacraments. And so like you said, piggybacking off what you said, my target is not how do I catechize the little children? It's how do I catechize the parents to keep their kids formed for first sacraments or get these young adults formed for their marriage that they might receive in August or October. Like we don't even know. Right. So I, my my whole thing is using the digital connection to, uh, like you said, connect with the adults, but to keep that formation alive for that sacramental preparation. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's clear to me as I, uh, I, I haven't been real active like on Facebook or, or Instagram or, or Twitter or anything like that. I mean, I never really have been, but I've been even less so active, but I do like peruse it. And it is pretty clear to me, uh, kind of uh, Gomer hinted at it at the beginning, that when we come back together, we desperately need to catechize the church on sacramental theology, and in particular, what the incarnation of Jesus means about all that. I mean, what it, what how it applies to all that, and why why it's different for Catholics um, than it is for other Christians or other faiths. Because it's really important. I've seen that question about a hundred times posed in in a very humble way and in a very um, honestly curious way as to. Uh, Father, why can't we have um, Skype confessions, right? And it's very interesting to me because the most common answer I've seen so far, Gomer, is, well, because of the confidentiality, you never know who could be listening or, you know, you don't know about that, which is 
understandable, but that is not (laughs) at all the answer, right? The answer is that the humanity of a priest plays a role, right? That human contact plays a role in that. And it's very important, right? The in-person encounter uh, with a, a man whose character has the character of priest is what's important about our faith. And I'm realizing that we... I mean, you know, in times of crisis, you start to see what you what you focused on before. And this was clearly not a focus of ours. Yeah. So I would I would summarize number four here as evaluate the dangers of a digital church. Right. So um, in in a very real way, you are going to have parishioners who are so uneducated about liturgy specifically, but the sacraments more in general that they might. And this is one of the dangers of digitizing and live streaming everything is they might stop coming to regular Mass because they can live stream yep. it. Uh, That's definitely going to happen. That is definitely going to happen. Yeah, uh, I remember I was at um, Ascension Press's National Catholic Bible Conference a few years back in Houston, and um, a guy came up to me, and, and he made a comment about one of the speakers, and he told me that I was much better than this particular speaker. And it's funny because I know I've been a part of this, and I mentioned this on the show, and I know I, I do this myself, but it didn't dawn on me until he said that that people were evaluating Catholic speakers like, you know, on on such like a a fever pitch, like rankings and, you know, they do it subconscious. Like everyone does it like, Oh, that person, Oh, they gave a great talk. That one, not so much, but really good content, but their delivery was boring. I mean, people are doing that. I mean, we've always done it. I do it at professors, whatever it might be, but um, it really didn't hit me until it's like this guy that just made that comment to is a professional consumer of Catholic content And my fear is that we might have just amplified that beast into untold levels. Oh, because of course we did. I think so. I think you're right. Right. And and so what we need to do is evaluate the pitfalls, the habits, the attitudes that might linger in a post-digital um, church, post-remote church work, right? So um, you're going to have people who are going to criticize our priests for their homilies even more so because they got to watch you know, sample from 300 different churches over the past two months, uh, you know, on Facebook seamlessly. And so it's like, you know, Father, you're not very catechetical. I I do think this should be a clarion call to our priests to be much more evangelical and catechetical. Um, I mean, I am sick and tired of terrible homilies. And I know people say, oh, you shouldn't beat up your priests. I'm not talking they have to be the most, I don't care at all at how entertaining it is. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to move me, but it has to be honest and it has to convict me about the message of the gospel. And so priests, um, you have to realize your congregation is coming back for, uh, as people who church shopped in their pajamas and gym shorts right. every Sunday, maybe even every day. Like we do daily mass, uh, you know, in a lot of ways here in my house, sometimes we just do liturgy of the word as a family when I get so sick and tired of streaming stuff. But, um, that is going to be so I, just as much like how are you going to phase in? How is your team thinking strategically about evangelizing, evangelizing adults? Part of this is the damage control that comes with digital church. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I think speaking of damage control, um, I, depending on where you are in the United States, depending on what your parish is like, um, I, you know, one of the points I wanted to throw out there was focus on works of mercy. Right. I mean, I don't know if you're if you're following the economy or anything. I'm kind of like an economics nerd and been following it. But people are hurting out there. And so take care of your flock. Right. Focus on works of mercy within your flock and and without outside your your flock, Um, because 
the way we respond in this, you know, we the church should respond better than anyone else when it comes to works of mercy. People are going to have their jobs lost, you know, be jobless. People are going to be uh, struggling in all kinds of ways. So try to find creative ways to engage your parishioners with the works of mercy to really just, um, I mean, we're you know, in a sense kind of at a moment of pre-evangelization, you know, again, um, and that's what we need to do is focus on a little bit of pre-evangelization. Yeah, the economy is tanking. Yeah. I mean, it is so scary. In one week, 5.7 million people filed for unemployment. And when you start to look at all of these things, like these, these are dangerous times for our people, for our families, right. for our communities. These are dangerous times. And uh, we don't know what the next six months are going to look like. We don't know what the next six weeks are going to look like. Right. And so to engage in the corporal works of mercy, uh, especially once people can be touched again or be in the same room again, that is where the the incarnational, sacramental, visible sign of the church is going to be the connective tissue for our culture again. There's a reason why cult is in the middle of the word culture, yeah. because you every culture is defined by what it worships. And right now it's, you know, hyper-materialism, sexual pleasure, all this stuff. Um, pornography, online viewing of pornography has skyrocketed during the quarantine. Oh, terrible. Um, alcohol consumption has skyrocketed because people are avoiding their problems. Domestic violence has skyrocketed during this. Um, and it, and it's so it's so shocking to me because when you have the teachings of Jesus Christ and he's the center of your life, you're going to suffer just like everyone else is going to suffer, but it becomes purifying if you view it as a cross. If you view this as a cross, you know, the cross has an endpoint called Calvary, but it also becomes defeated in this beautiful thing called the empty tomb. Yeah. And every one of our sufferings gets caught up in the Paschal Mystery. Um, even something ridiculous as I can't go to the movies like I want to, right, or right. you know this this total lack of self control. So the idea of what you of what you just said, double down. If you want your church to survive, your people have to move yeah. in the world. This is a part of what Sherry Waddell talks about. Um, the, some of the obstacles towards adult faith formation is the fact that the local parish doesn't see the mission of the church. Right. Right. It's just like this is my this is my local parish, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what is God doing in the death and resurrection of Jesus in the founding of the Church of the Apostles and the spreading of the word throughout the world? What do, do I have a campus or is it the kingdom? Right. And this opportunity is allowing us to focus on the kingdom or it's allowing us to despair over the decline of the campus. And the the engaging in the corporal works of mercy is how you're going to empower your parishioners to take on the mission of God in the church. So I'm lucky, and again, <laughs> we say this all the time, but I'm lucky that my church has the second largest food bank in our county next to the county's own food bank, Montgomery County Food Bank. And we are the number one non-corporate financial partner of the food bank. We didn't even know that. We were pumping in so much money into the food bank and all this stuff that they threw a party and we were the top five. We were number two of the top five. Wow. And all the rest were like oil companies. That's awesome. And, so, and banks, yeah. And we didn't even realize that. We're like, where are the other churches? We found out the largest church in our area. Um, we met with them to do some consulting on financial stuff. And we said, well, what do you do for your outreach of the poor and whatnot? And she looked around and she leaned over and she said, we send them to you. Oh, gosh. We send them to you. And so um, our the number of families that we've served, I mean, just imagine this, people pulling up in Escalade right. 
and you know all these like tricked out <laughs> vehicles tricked out from a wealthy you know suburbanite uh, perspective getting bags of food and you know rice aroni and stuff like that because they can't feed their family wow. because they were wow. laid off. Wow. You know, like this is like people also don't understand we are an oil dependent um, community, the woodlands. And so when the oil industry has taken such a massive hit at the same time, the economy takes a massive hit. Right. Like one guy said, you know, my company manages the oil exploration on 29 rigs right now. And only three are active. Ugh. And so you see that like we just don't see the reverberating effects. So you got people pulling up in Lexuses that are getting bags of groceries. So your corporal works of mercy is not just, oh, this is how we stand out with our brand. It's how we are the church and serve right. the mission of the church. So I could not stand behind what you just said. Creatively engage your people in the works of mercy for your community and just saturate that with scripture. Second Corinthians nine. We've mentioned that before on the show. It's a beautiful chapter to unfold how the church serves the poor. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to, you know what? Honestly, I, I do believe absolutely that this is going to be a beautiful resume, a resurrection moment for the church. You know, I really do. I think that in a lot of ways, um, limited resources help us to focus on what we really, really need to do. And and I know that there are going to be places that say like, oh, we're already doing the right things and, and you're cutting our resources for doing the right things. I am, I'm definitely the throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of guy. That's just the kind of statements I make, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's true that for a lot of places cutting the resources is going to have them focus on what's really true and we just have to hope that we're that the church is guided into the correct uh focus you know for that um but in all honesty i i, I want to throw this out there that i i would like to if you're if your church is struggling if you're wondering if you're a pastor who doesn't have very many staff wondering what to focus on over the next year as they ease these restrictions um please i i please reach out to us and i i would be happy to help um, and, and to to do something with your parish team or with you, um, just to and for, for totally for free, of course, um, and and to to be able to help shape you know a plan of what to do here because this is a this is an opportunity for those who are willing to seize it. There's no question. I also want to say this is another like silver lining on a dark cloud. The quarantine maybe so one of the problems that we have in the laity is. We do not understand the secular role or the secular character of our mission. As lay folks, we are not commissioned to be wannabe deacons or priests. That's not a role, right? Our right. the deacons and priests, that that ministry is called the ecclesial ministry. Right. I would encourage you to go on the catechism and look up um uh, a subsection called Why the Ecclesial Ministry. It's a beautiful section, kind of outlines it, but that's not our role. And Vatican II. In its decree on the apostolate of the laity, very clearly spells out that we are formed, we are meant to be formed for a secular role in advancing the kingdom. And the amazing thing about this quarantine can be our re emphasis on this secular role. That is, so many laity right, were like, oh, yeah, the Vatican Council said, let's go out into the world and conquer it for Christ. And we walked out in the world and we're like, oh my gosh, everyone hates us. Right. The whole world right. is hostile. You right. turn, I'm going to be a sacristan. Yeah. Now, that's wonderful that people can be sacristans. It's wonderful that people can be Eucharistic minister, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. You can do all that stuff, whatever. That's fine. Sometimes. I, actually, I think it can be incredibly abusive when the role of the laity becomes morphed or downgraded to this or that pastoral job or this or that liturgical functionary. 
That's not what your job is. Your role in the kingdom of heaven is to advance the gospel in the world. And maybe, maybe this quarantine can de-emphasize the quasi-pastoral and liturgical and re-emphasize the missionary dynamism of the lay secular vocation. I, I think it almost certainly will because um, I think so many people are, are for, for the first time in their life, fulfilling uh, their role as primary catechists of their children. And that's, that is a great way to learn. Evangelizing, catechizing your children is a great, a great, a great. I've been around the kids too much. A great way to learn how to evangelize and catechize uh, everyone else. So yeah, I mean, this is going to be a time of great fruit for those who are willing to go out and see that the fields are are ripe for harvest. Um, so uh, please don't don't take this time. You know, don't don't take it sitting down. Right, this is the time for us to plan and strategically look at what we're going to do. Um, to grow the kingdom of God, uh, even though it may look smaller after this, how do we grow the kingdom of heaven here on earth and and participate in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing? We're going to go to a break now, um, and you're going to hear about some some kind of great product from our friends at Ascension. So we're so happy to be a part of the Ascension community. As always, if you need any help at all with evangelization, you have any questions, please email us. Um, we it goes directly to us uh, that th- these emails at eksb at ascensionpress.com. That's eksb at ascensionpress.com. Email us and let us know how you're doing out there, or if you have any questions about evangelization, we'd love to address it on the show. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista and a Baptist turned Catholic. As a Baptist, I thought that Catholic beliefs were invented, that they came out of nowhere and had no connection whatsoever to the Bible. I also happened to believe that the Old Testament was about rules, rituals, and sacrifices that the New Testament gave us permission to ignore for a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a long story, but as God began connecting the Old and New Testaments for me, I was stunned by the beautiful consistency of God in the Catholic Church. I can't tell you how exciting it was when God opened my eyes to the incredible ways the Old Testament foreshadows God's plan for the New Testament and for His Catholic Church. In my book, Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, I explain these amazing connections and I share how those connections helped change my life. If you read this book, I promise that you will come away with tools to help you share your Catholic faith easily, answer questions about how your Catholic faith fits with what's in the Bible, and most importantly, grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you're interested in learning more or ordering a copy of Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, you can do so at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, uh, Ascension, for always supporting this show. You guys are so great. Um, so now we have our five practical takeaways, and I think these are these are going to be big Big ticket items that I hope uh, can be beneficial to you, your parish staff. If you're a volunteer at a parish or a you know clergy person, you can make this happen, um, at, or at the very least, be helpful and suggestive to those who are responsible for this overall, um, the overall stuff that we're going to recommend. 
Yeah. Number one, okay, we uh, Gomer mentioned this at the beginning of the show. It was his first recommendation, and that is make a list of people for your strategy team. Make a list of people for your implementation team, who people who you want uh, kind of guiding this phase, you know, of, of making a plan and starting to implement that plan. Uh, people that you know are wise and can get you through this. All right, number two, put together a strategic plan. And remember that you will be phased back. So various elements of your church might only have 10 or 20 people in there with masks or liturgies might have to be you know, done differently. So start to get your mind as a team, get your mind around what would phasing back look like? What would, um, what is our church going to look like, you know, two months from now, 10 months from now, uh, everything in between, because you need to start putting thoughts on paper. No plan survives contact with the enemy, but it is better to plan something and have to pivot than to have nothing and try to scramble. Absolutely. Uh, number three, write down some obstacles and bad habits that this experience of digital church might have caused. Gomer talked about this. You know, what are the things that what we are going to see coming back that we're going to have to deal with? You want to kind of head this off, right? You want to know what's coming. So just make a list, you know, write down some of the things you're seeing that you're not uh, crazy about. Do a work of mercy. Number four, do something. Go out there and do something real and powerful. The head of our elementary faith formation and sack prep program has spent days and days and days in our food pantry, organizing, getting things moving. She has an incredible logistical mind, and she's able to apply it for the salvation of souls and for the benefit of people's bodies. You know, like right now, there's so much desperation. So do a work of mercy. Um, and if you, yeah, and if you don't know what those works of mercies are, you can Google them, spiritual and corporal. I would recommend doing something physical now or, you know, in the phasing back. Yeah. Number five, and this is a, an easy one, but I, it's one that I think you should think about. And that is uh, pray for your clergy right now who are without their spiritual families. You know, I'm, this is hard for them. I mean, can you imagine what it's like? You know, they don't they don't go home to big families full of kids or anything like that. They're they're really in a lot of ways just with their brothers. And we want to pray for them right right now. This is hard. I, I read a heartbreaking story about of a priest talking about how he was denied access to a parishioner who was dying because of the uh, the restrictions. So, I mean, this is really hard for them. So just say a prayer for your clergy uh, and for your clergy team um, that, you know, God would comfort them during this time and, and give them uh, a yeah. time of refreshment, yeah. really. Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, those are your five practical takeaways. Do not take this lightly. Start putting pen to paper. Start making this stuff happen. Start having conversations of what tomorrow's church is going to look like. And I guarantee you, you'll be better prepared when this whole shenanigans comes to an end. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank the fine folks at Ascension Press. Remember to email us at eksp at ascensionpress.com. God bless y'all. God bless. 